I'll just say hello to everybody and uh, yeah. I'm happy to see you, Oliver and to have you here for the second time in my podcast or the third time. Second time, second time. It's an honor. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Oliver, please introduce yourself. You're the, 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 the one who knows best what you do overall. Obviously, you're a specialist in, in communications. You're probably the most, uh, the, the best person at this that I know. Um, and let us know about your latest book, which is basically the overarching uh, framework for our discussion today. Please. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, thank you, Georgiana, having me, inviting me for a second time. I feel really honored. And thank you also for contributing to the book. So you obviously are quoted in the book, which is called Message Machine, as you are, you know, one of uh, the people I look for when it comes to everything related to employer branding. Now, my name is Oliver Aust. I'm a communications expert. So I work um, mostly with CEOs and founders. I coach mm -hmm. them. I help them to develop message machines. Um, what I realized over the last 25 years is that a company can never grow beyond the communication skills of their leadership. Sure. So it often becomes the biggest problems companies face and it becomes a bottleneck. You know, the bottleneck is always at the top of the bottle. So what, what we are focusing on is empowering the leadership so that they can empower everyone else in the company. And one of the topics in the book in terms of how you how do you do that is, of course, becoming an employer of choice. Yes. Now, when you take a step back, what does a company need to be successful? You need customers. So you need to talk to the yeah. external world. You need normally investors. Um, so you need to talk to the financial world and you need talent. So if you have investors, if you have customers and if you have top talent, you can usually scale. You can build a great business. Now, talent is obviously key in this. So how do you attract that kind of top talent? And this is what we've been looking at yes. in the book, which is called Message Machine, How Communications Can Make You an Unstoppable Founder. And there are a couple of chapters really diving into building that dream team and becoming an employer of choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's all the more interesting if we look at the concept in the current economic times, um, because I have personally had a, an experience and a very bad, I would say, um, employment experience recently. So for me, the framework has changed dramatically. I look twice now at a company before I apply for a job. Of course, you cannot know beforehand all the decision that an organization can make. But I'm wondering, how, how would you say that the, the, the main framework, the main structure has changed and how can people still stay an employer of choice in these very volatile times? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm really sorry to hear that. We're interested how, how the framework has changed for you. Now, what we um, have developed, and we are Jack Singh, my co-author of Message right. Machine, and obviously mm -hmm. with, with input from uh, brilliant people like yourself, is that employer branding in itself is not enough because it's uh, it's a little you know it's a little bit like you have a great brand but if the product sucks then you know it's not going to be successful. Yeah. So yeah. you need three elements we believe to become and be and stay an employer of choice. Yes. First one is the employee experience. In other words, the culture. It needs to be mm -hmm. exciting and a positive experience for people wanting to work for you, but also to staying with you for the long haul, right? And people yeah. talk, right? So often they do, as you said, they do their due diligence. They look closely, who, you know, who I'm getting, yeah. you know, who, who, what, are, what am I signing up for here? What is the experience? Sure. 
they come to the office usually we also invite people if we hire we invite people to come to the office they should experience the vibe the location yeah. what it looks like what it feels like so culture is, is one way of putting it but really it's the whole experience you have as an employee second mm -hmm. pillar is the employee engagement Right. So you need people not just to be happy to be at work and like to come on a Monday morning, but they also need to be engaged. And that means they need to um, experience fantastic internal communications. And we can dive into what that means and how you build an internal communication system. I think at this this point, it suffice to say it is crucial to align the, uh, align the team so everyone knows what the strategy is and works towards the strategy. Mm -hmm. Also to motivate people and of course, to reinforce culture on a constant basis. So you get great employee engagement through fantastic internal communications. And then the third pillar, the third element that helps you be an employer of choice is employer appeal. So you need to be appealing as an employer and you achieve that through great employer branding. Now that's, yeah. that's basically attracting the people who not mm -hmm. yet work for you, but of course you can use your own employees. You can have, you know, create content, you can create a word of mouth around the people who already work for you and build your employer brand on that. And I think that's something that's that's working exceptionally well at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I would say before we dive into the <clears throat> more um, vast topic of internal communications, I was wondering, you know, maybe maybe in, in a small parenthesis, how does leadership walk the talk <laughs> during these times? Because you are aware, and we've talked about this so many times, so many companies state that they believe in certain values, state that they, you know, put certain importance to certain categories of, I don't know, activities or whatever, whereas in reality, this doesn't happen. And I find, even with, with the clients that we work and the companies in which I work, there's a huge disconnect many times between what the employer branding team is trying to achieve, and you've got HR and a good chunk of the people in the organization yeah. and the leadership. Yeah. Uh, you point to something that's very important, and that is that leadership, uh, if there's a discrepancy between what people say and people do, everyone will believe and follow what people do. So that's, that's important to understand. So yeah, yes, it yeah. is important right. to codify the values of the company. Also, the behaviors, you know, values of say honesty is a value, great, but how does that translate into mm -hmm. our day to day work? Mm -hmm. So, I need to be clear about the mission, the vision, of course, but also the values and the behaviors I would like to see. And then, as a leadership team, I need to live up to that. So, if transparency is, you know, proclaimed to be a core value, I need to live up to that as a leader. So I need to be mindful of that when we create the values. And if in doubt, as I said, people follow and model themselves, their behavior after what the leaders do, not what they say, not what the values on the wall say. So that is absolutely crucial. So you can see where the problem is. If um, there's a discrepancy, a gap between these two, um, I become untrusted as a leader. People don't really believe anymore what I say. So well, if they, you know, unclear or inconsistent mm -hmm. about that mm -hmm. fundamental thing why would i believe you what you say to me on a monday morning in an all hands meeting so that's a huge that's a huge problem now the solution is relatively straightforward you know you need to live up to your own values exactly and you know what this oftentimes leads to a toxic culture and um, I've oftentimes given the example that you have given me at some point of this organization who was really looking forward to uh, doing some employer branding, regardless of how and yeah. exactly. 
but the culture was not ready for it and the leadership was not ready for it, for it. So then I guess the best way to do it is to start by fixing the problem inside and then looking at exactly, okay, what values can we define and then how, what, what kind of behaviors we can attach to the values. Because whenever we as, as, a, as an agency, <coughs> sorry, work on, on developing an EVP for an employer, we look at behaviors. Like you said, you say transparency. What does that mean yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis? Exactly. You know? Right. And I don't remember what the, what the question was initially, but I think we are ready to go to our next topic, which is internal comms, if that's okay for you. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I was telling you, Oliver, before we started this, uh, before I pressed record um, for this conversation, that this is a question I'm getting a lot from professionals in HR recently. They are saying the current economic climate is, is weird. It's uncertain. People aren't sure whether their jobs are still going to be here five months, six months from now, one month from now. Then I hear a lot of feedback regarding the recession. We are in the recession. However, some sectors are experiencing growth. In tech, money is being withdrawn. So, so the question I'm getting is, how does an HR team or the company team, not the HR team, marketing, HR, employer branding, plus leadership, manage internal comms in this climate? Yeah. Are there pointers? Are, what, what's oh. your take on it? What, oh, what yeah. could they do specifically? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic question. Now, the way I look at internal communications, for me, you need to think about it like you think about marketing, in the sense that you need to think about what is the right message for the right people at the right time on the right channel exactly how we think about marketing now that has traditionally not been the case with internal communications it has usually been here's information bam you know and you dump the information so right. mostly in the sort of more agile economy yeah. startup work so we, we, yeah. we're way beyond that but there's still issues so that's that's the first thing treat it like marketing not like an hr information channel mm -hmm. and that requires marketing mm -hmm. and comms usually in my view to be very closely involved and ideally being in charge exactly. of internal communications because it uses the same channels as marketing as pr etc so that's the first thing um secondly you want to build an internal communication system and that usually means you need to think about formats that pull push and exchange what does that mean? So push, very easy. You need to provide the information to the team, right? You need to be clear and evangelize about the company's mission, the strategy, the business objective. So you need to push that information for sure. You also need to pull the information from the team. So you need to find out what they think, right? This is this is not a one-way street. This needs to be a two-way right. street and actually a network of nodes that communicates with each other. So how do you do that? There are surveys, there are um, focus groups, there are many things we can do as leaders to find out what people actually think in a quantitative way, ideally, but also in a qualitative way uh, <clears throat> to complement that. Exchange is the third element. Exchange, what does it mean? I sit down as a leader and really dive deep with people and exchange views with people who are not my direct reports. And they're great examples like Brian Chesky at Airbnb who spends reportedly, you know, some nights or lunches every week to talk to employees around the company and, you know, break bread, have that dinner, have that lunch, yeah, have yeah, that yeah. coffee and really find out what's going on. And I think this is so valuable for CEOs and leaders that I would recommend it to everyone. So pull, push and exchange. Those are the three 
things you need to think about when you create formats. So formats, what do I mean formats? So if it is push, it could be, you know, the all hands meeting. Ideally, this is also an exchange forum, but the reality is more like here's the information. So you yeah. need you need to create that. Mm -hmm. There may be an irregular update from the CEO by video, whatever. So this is this is giving the information. Uh, then you need to create the exchange forums, as I said. You know, it can be one to one or one to few. It shouldn't be one to many. That's not a great exchange forum. And then there's the the poll, as I said, the surveys, the focus groups. You know, every say May, you know, there is this coming. There are also fantastic tools that allow leadership to keep their you know finger on the pulse uh mm -hmm. where they can actually ask every week or every month you know yeah. does it you know do you know what we're doing are you aligned to the strategy anything of concern which is what i would you know recommend for companies now to be really mindful and up to date on what people in the company think absolutely if i might add just one thing to to everything you've mentioned oliver we found it increasingly important to involve leadership during the onboarding period mm -hmm. interesting you know the direct yeah. conversations if the company is bigger you can have direct conversations with the i don't know 10 latest recruits if the company is small you can have a one-on-one -on -one or a coffee or whatever i think and i've seen and i've heard from people that it makes a huge difference in these times to establish a, a personal bond with with leadership yeah yeah. That that's a great observation. That's very interesting, and I can only second <laughs> that. And onboarding doesn't stop with week one. You know, how long does it does yeah. it take to learn that job really and be valuable? So it does make sense from my point of view to think about onboarding in like three or six month um, periods, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. this is how long it takes to be really excellent at that. And think yeah. about it: if you empower newcomers to perform at the highest level as quickly as possible. That can only be good for the company, right? Also mm -hmm. to understand if they if they if they will never perform at that level and maybe then take that decision. But ideally, you help them become top performers in the organization by having a carefully developed and executed onboarding process. And if I don't have the time, if the organization is too large, I can do it per video. I can do it in small groups, yes. right? It doesn't have to be one on one. I realize that's a lot of time um, for leadership, but. It's also about that signal, right? I care about you. I have that cup of coffee. So it is a great investment in my view. Mm, Oliver, this, this is very, very useful information. Um, and, you know, putting things into perspective a little bit, also um, by looking at my own personal interviewing experience that I've had recently. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sound mean or anything, but I've, I've come to realize that, that many times you don't have the right people in the right seats. And I'm mm -hmm. speaking, you know, in some instances about recruitment. It's not the, the right person to be growing your company. And this brings me to the initial um, um, things we were discussing. How do you become an employer of choice? Okay, that's one thing. And then how do you make sure that you put the right people in the right seats and that you build an all-star team which can serve you in the long run and help you grow? your company because like I said my my recent experience <laughs> has shown me otherwise and it's been yeah. very disappointed yeah. disappointing in many many cases yeah 
exactly and that doesn't help anyone right this is no, this is just no. you know a lose lose situation and but... it's, it's just a mismatch many right. times it's, no, it's, it's not a mismatch. even about being incompetent it's just simply a mismatch yeah. and you can see it yeah I, th I think about you, you need to think about your the whole candidate journey strategically and the message we see we map it out step by step what's that candidate journey right. And traditionally, it has been the company interviews. They check for technical skills, um, but there are a few things missing. There's mm -hmm. not necessarily that conversation about culture. So in exactly. my view, from the very beginning of that yeah. interaction between candidate and employer, it should be, look, this is our culture. And we want to make sure that you, know, you, 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 you like that, you embrace it, you want to be part of this culture. And if not, that's fine. That's totally fine. But you know, yeah. this is what we are looking for, and hopefully, you're looking for as well. And then they can take an informed decision. And people are then quite good at you know, selecting themselves in or out. So I would do that pretty early yeah. in the whole process. Mm -hmm. So the whole process, in my view, should be way more value-led and employer branding-led than simply we have a you know, position. We need these skills and experiences. Mm -hmm. Are you the right mm -hmm. person for that? Now, if you have to choose between a good culture match and you know skills people bring i would always go for culture i'm not saying yeah. the you know um we're not talking about the the fine details of the culture but just the underlying values yeah. i had a great conversation with um the founder of colibri games um uh, on my podcast a few weeks ago daniel stabler they had to hire about 100 people they would never done it before mm -hmm. so that thousand applications needed to hire 100 yeah. people and mm -hmm. he was a, because a gaming company the um, maybe some, or he said, some went in with the attitude like, where's the ping pong table? And he said, mate, there's no <laughs> ping pong table, neither figuratively nor literally. We work yeah. silently from nine to six every day together. And there's an hour lunch break where we have fun. And then afterwards we can have fun too. But this is focus time. When we're here, we yeah. really focus. A lot of people yeah. said, actually, that's not what I sign up for when I want, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm joining a gaming company. So thank you. And it's not perfect for me. if you find it out from the get go. Yeah, exactly. So be very clear. Where's the, I, know, you know, I love this, obviously. No one probably said, where's the ping pong table? But people were like, like yeah, yeah. You know, sending the signal they wanted a place to work with ping pong tables, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. So um, what does that mean? So be, be clear about the values you're looking for. And I, I rather train for skills. Um, uh, but a higher for culture. Our culture is yeah. high performance, it's growth, it's it's learning. Um, and you can test that in an interview. So I tested, for instance, by by pushing back a little, being, you know, uh, also a bit critical in the interview process at some stage, just to see how people react. If they get defensive, um, this is a red flag for me. Because if you have a growth mindset, feedback is welcome, even though it may not be pleasant. Um, but at least you see, okay, yes, good, this, you know, this is this is interesting. I'm getting some feedback here. I need to take this into account rather than saying, "Yeah, but you know, I, I, you know." So defensiveness is a red flag. And if you you're clear about your cultural uh, pillars, you will also know what the red flags are for you. And then you can design the interview process around that and ensure that you tick those boxes. And and there's there's a match, as you say. It shouldn't be a mismatch. Yeah. yeah. And you make sure you you draft the onboarding and the offboarding process. Looking that's at right. the same that's right. principles. Yeah, mm -hmm. the offboarding, the exit interview is a unique opportunity to find out things about your company that you did not know. So it's it's Absolutely. an opportunity. It's, it's extremely valuable, extremely valuable for identifying potential disconnects indeed. Oliver, I found a quote that I really, really liked in your book. Here goes. Culture is never done, it is always work in progress. 
I just love this because, you know, as, a, as an employer branding professional, I've learned that it's crucial to have these periodic checks with yeah. your employees, with the leadership. At the same time, I'm, I'm discovering that this doesn't really happen. Why is that the case? Why is it so hard for companies to, to just have a simple survey, you know, or, or a simple focus group or just, you know, have a have, have a regular chat by the coffee machine? Yeah, exactly. So I think general change is hard. And if you're in a company as a leadership, you focus on the things that don't work, right? You're a problem solver, you have put, put up fires. So as long as the culture is kind of ticking along, people don't really look at it. So there are mm-hmm. usually two reasons why companies look at culture, uh, two, two incentives. Uh, one is something goes wrong and it's clear there needs to be a checkup and an update. And secondly, there's a change in the leadership. So I worked for EasyJet for a long time, as you know, helped scale the company. I worked with the first three CEOs over a long period of time. So the first CEO was very much the sort of the startup phase, you know, go getter, um, you know, seasoned guy in the aviation industry. Next one was the scale up guy. And I worked closely with him for five years as a sort of right hand guy. So that was completely different. The culture changed almost instantaneously. And then the third CEO came again, the culture changed almost instantaneously. And there was a big discussion. It was just, you know, the signals being sent, the people coming and leaving, you know, people say, okay, this is no longer a place for me. I've got got to do something else, which is what I did when the third CEO came and said, this is not my culture. So you select yourself out or in. Yes. Yes. And this is, Mm -hmm. this is so, this was, you know, I was basically ringside seat for this, and it is incredible how company culture. And this is a company with ten thousand people, so this is exactly. not five people That's in a room, right? Yeah, yeah, ten thousand people. But at least in the management, sort of white collar, you know, a few hundred people sitting in the same building, you could see the culture changing within a week. It is incredible. Yes. So it's a it's a catalyst, and I think for everyone who comes into a new role as a leader to be mindful and intentional about that process, not just bring your expectations without listening to what was what happened before. I think that's really important to yeah. not lose good people because you're sending the wrong signals and haven't learned what the place mm-hmm. is all about. And do you know what? I have a similar personal uh, story with working for Sanofi Aventis right after I ended my studies in Paris in 2008 when the crisis came. And when leadership uh, landed with a completely different perspective on how the company should look like. And there were tens of thousands of employees there affected. And then older people started to take their uh, retirement much earlier mm. than they should have. Yeah. And they were saying, this is no longer the company I started working for 40 years ago. Yeah. And I didn't know much at the time about working in the you know real life uh, work field or about communications in general, but still I felt sorry for them. And I felt you know, this is this is really sad. There's a huge disconnect here. How can someone in a top position not mind what the people are thinking hmm. and not be mindful about their feelings? It's people who have literally given their whole lives for the company. Yes. And you, you, you get yes. such a huge earthquake and such a huge movement. Yeah. And we see this, I mean, when you look at since last year, these these layoffs, you see mass layoffs in particular in tech, several hundred thousand people have lost their jobs. And of course, there are like 10,000 people at Facebook and there are 10 people in that startup down the road. So you get yes. the whole spectrum. Yes. Now, this is, this is, of course, a big transition, a big change in a company. So how do you deal with that? How do you fire right, for want of a better term, right? Yeah. Not just hire right, but fire right. Fire because right. if you, if you, 
um, let go of 10% of your people or 20%, there's still 90 or 80% of the staff that stay. So you need to communicate this in the best possible way to the people who are personally affected, of course. And this didn't always happen, right? People got notified by email, got locked out of the building or were marched off the premises or etc. We've all seen these stories, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So join the Zoom call. Hey, you're fired. Awesome. Right. So Mm -hmm. this is obviously what any sensible person in a leadership role should avoid very clearly. I don't think there's there's much exactly. argument there. Exactly. And do you know what? It's it's fascinating for me when I when I hear your story as well, how how this happens at such a high scale and such a large scale. Right. And then it's it's you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me how leaders don't understand that if things can happen at this scale in such big companies, why aren't they more mindful of their culture in a 100 person organization yeah. why don't they think of employer branding not in the sense that you know we have to draft our values and the core pillars and just keep your culture in check man what is your culture first of all and then how do you how do you make sure that it, it stays there and that the people embrace it it's really it's really unbelievable for me yeah um so 100 percent agree and as, as as i said the the question then is how do you deal with the remainders right what yeah, do you do? Yeah. How do you keep them motivated? Because the, the, the trouble is, of course, that they are worried. They're worried that they um, lose status. They're worried that they lose their job. Maybe they're, they're you know, they're maybe they're another round of cuts, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think, first of all, it's important to um, ideally get ugly early. So if it's 20% that need to go, 20% need to go, no, 10% now, and then 10% in three months from now, get ugly early because you want to then tell the other 80%, look, we had to do this, we had to make this cut, but you're safe, right? We are safe if we do the following. So you, fear can be a motivator, uh, but you, the company leadership, um, they shouldn't be afraid of you. They should maybe be afraid of competition or afraid of the general market development. So that focuses minds, that can be helpful. Or you use other metaphors, other ways to motivate the people. But you need to take the fear away. You can't just fire people and then expect the rest to perform. They may be disengaged. They may start looking for other jobs, etc. So you really need to have a good strategy in place and the right messaging. And just to say, which sometimes leadership does, well, it's tough out there, so we had to do it. Yeah, true. But if that's the whole explanation, good luck with the rest of the company. So this is how downward spirals often start with really bad communication. Exactly. And really bad communication in tough times. Yes, especially. Tough economic crisis and context is going to change eventually. Two months from now, 6, 9, 12, 24, it doesn't matter. So then that brings me to my next question. How do you maintain a high-performing team in a normal economic context? So for me, it starts with positive communication. So if there's just negative communication around, you know, you can't build a strong culture. So positive communication and the day to day interaction, that what gives is the foundation for a strong culture. Right. And as we said, strong culture um, leads to shared beliefs and values, and that leads to the desired behaviors. Um, And only that leads to high performance team. The challenge, Mm -hmm. especially inexperienced leaders think, you know, they want results, so they kind of 
dictate results. <laughs> they say, this is what we need to achieve, do it. And of course that doesn't work because people will simply not execute in the way you want. They may not be aligned. They may not be clear about the strategy. So you start with positive ongoing communication, rather over communicate than under communicate, building a strong culture that leads to shared beliefs and values. Those values lead to desired behaviors. As we say, culture is what happens when the boss is not around. Meaning, you know, you don't want to control, you can't micromanage people in a big company or a growing company. So you need to rely on the culture and the values to lead to the desired behaviors. And the desired behaviors on an ongoing basis lead to a high performance team. So that's the, the chain of events, if you like. And this is something we also outline step by step in, in message machine. And the high performance team will get you the results. It's not us in leadership roles telling people to bring us results. It does not work. Yeah. Of course. Um, I, I am also a, a complete believer in the power of positive and ongoing communication. I'm wondering, you and I both know it, but maybe other leaders don't. Do communications and marketing and HR and leadership need to work together for that to happen? Big yes, absolutely. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's yes. not each department in its own corner working on their own and then... Yeah, so the way I think about branding, uh, I, 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 dozens of uh, definitions out there, right? What, what is a brand? What's branding? I, I like the following. The brand is the personality of the company. And if you think about employer branding, it means, you know, it's part of that personality is the personality, the part of the personality that should attract the great, you know, great talent to your company. And we completely accept that a company invests in the other aspects of branding, particularly the product or the company branding, depending on B2B or B2C, right? We would always accept that they continuously build the brand to increase their appeal to customers. So that's accepted. No one say, you know, times are tough, so let's cut back on all that branding and marketing stuff. I mean, some do, but it's illogical because you can't grow yourself out of a crisis. You can only... Um, so you can't save your way out of a crisis, you can only grow yourself out of a crisis. So yes, it makes sense. It just needs to, you need to focus on things that work. So you should always have an unlimited budget for like marketing, branding, if it works. So if I spent a euro and get five euros back, why wouldn't I spend more? Why would I cut that? That makes no sense. Exactly. It, right. It only makes sense if my marketing isn't working, but then why wait until things get tough? Why not change it now? Right. So that's it. Marketing is a separate conversation. but. In terms of employer branding, it's important to continuously build that brand. And we've seen these wild swings in recent years. You know, Corona started, no one hired anymore. No one wanted to go anywhere. Everyone was afraid. Following year, the great resignation. Everyone resigned and went somewhere else. It was like, geez, we need to find no people. Let's focus yeah. on our employer brand. We need to do something mm -hmm. here. But actually, they're focused more on hiring than employer let's brand. Let's hire like crazy. Yes, let's hire, just hire brand. people. Yeah. And then a year later, it's like, oh, we have too many people. We didn't really mm -hmm. see this coming. Let's get rid of some. Yeah. So let's not worry about employer branding. We don't need anyone at the moment. Um, so you see these wild swings. And okay, these were extreme cases we all went through so kind of making light light of it a little bit but we don't know what the future will bring most likely there will be more wild swings there will be things we don't expect i have no idea what the next four years will bring and i don't think anyone anyone really knows there are too yeah. many um unpredictable and unexpected things that could, could happen 
What does that mean for your employer brand? I think you should just continuously invest and build it just like you build your customer brand because you will need people in the future. You don't know exactly how many or when, but employer branding is crucial both when you grow and also when you shrink. Let's say you have to lay off 20% of your staff. Now, at some point you need to hire. What these people will say publicly and online will determine if you can attract talent a year down the line. So yeah. you want them, and we have good and bad examples in the book, right? People who just fired mm-hmm. people on Zoom and said, you're, you're all out. And we have people who are very mindful and actually helped their staff to find new positions, right? Created alumni lists on LinkedIn. That's been a big thing now to say, here are 20 fantastic people I can vouch for. Uh, you know, we had to let them go. Nothing to do with them or to do with us. I'd, I'd be happy to be the personal referee of all of these as a CEO of this company. Go and hire these people, they're amazing. Now, guess what? These people found jobs immediately. Easy, right? So it doesn't take a huge investment of time or effort Mm -hmm. or energy to do that, but it will make a big difference down the line. So I think our message is invest employer branding all the time, regardless of uh, where the pendulum is, where the job market is at that moment. Mm -hmm. Think more long term, think strategically just as instead of tactical hiring. And the other thing is, um, even if you don't need to hire a lot of people, the best people are always in high demand. So in order to recruit, if it's just one person, right? Whatever, it doesn't matter how many. Um, and regardless of the job market, you want to ensure that you are best positioned to attract that number one candidate you want to get into your business. Right. I think people just forget how much this can impact their overall reputation in the market, not just as an employer, but yeah. the company reputation. Exactly. You simply forget it. It's, yeah. it's everywhere, mm-hmm. like the, the glass doors of this world. As you said at the beginning, people do their due diligence. They will go on LinkedIn, they will go on Glassdoor, etc. You know everything what's online. They will also look at LinkedIn. Who am I connected to or who do I know who has worked for this company or is working there? Mm-hmm. I want to speak to them. That's yeah, only yeah, people definitely. do due diligence, not just the employer, both sides. Exactly. It's all transparent, it's all out there. Mm-hmm. Of course, and I'm going to always apply for a job in a company that I know treats its employees well, a company where I know someone that personally works there. It's, yeah, no brainer. Um, Oliver, I have one last question for you, which is attached somehow to employer branding, um, but also to personal branding because you are a branding specialist. And there's something that I've had on my mind for a while now, and maybe we can, you know, um, touch on it briefly. Personal brand for the employee in the context of the overall company culture, because companies have various ways of looking at this, of looking at employees that are super attentive with with how they craft their own uh, personal brand. Although in my opinion, it's huge added value Mm -hmm. to every company. So I was wondering, what's your take on this? Yeah, uh, I mean, from an employee's perspective, I agree, it's super helpful because it usually helps you to get promoted, to be more visible, to get more interesting projects, also to find a new place to work if that's what you choose to do. So I only see uh, potential upside. Um, From an employer perspective, I also see a lot of upside, but there is the risk of force that um, an employee who is too well-known and too active sort of Mm -hmm. outgrows their role and gets probably poached by other companies. I mean, that's the worry, mm-hmm. right? That's why they worry. Yeah, yeah. The other worry- Although that's not so bad in the end, I guess. Right. Having fostered a culture in which someone can grow to that level, yeah. 
better. Exactly. I, 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 I'm with you on that. I believe the upside is there for the employer as well as the mm-hmm. employee. But I think it's also important to, to think through the concern. Yeah. The other concern is um, less so now, but it used to be a big concern that they say things about the company that are not aligned simply because mm-hmm. it may be you know, a throwaway line on social media, etc. Yeah. But I think we, we know how to solve this relatively easily. There's some you know, broad social media guidelines. Hey, we'd love you to talk about uh, the company online, but just be mindful of these things. Um, you could also go a step further as an employer, and some do that, and um, recruit internally for brand ambassadors corporate yes. influencers there is a ghastly That's term sometimes idea. used but the the sort of the, um, the the brand ambassador from the internal brand ambassador that can be an engineer who's speaking to other engineers to talk about the exciting projects they're working on again employer branding right it's mm-hmm. very powerful um or it can be to customer facing right to say you talk about the product um so using your employees and promoting uh, them as brand ambassadors is way more valuable for a company than trying to prevent that they build their own personal brand or yeah. their own personal profile. And if they do well, why not promote mm-hmm. them? Why not give them more responsibility? Building an audience is bloody hard these days. So if you have people internally who get attention that you can use as a company, you know that's an asset. Now something else came to my mind and we can decide whether we keep it in this recording or not. Um, because we spoke a lot about transparency and openness and how about, you know, most companies pride on that. And then I realized that many times I've asked people to join me on this podcast, um, people from more established organizations, so to say. And they said, sure, I'll get back to you with a yes or no after I speak to PR and communications. And it was usually a no yeah. after that. Mm-hmm. And so that that makes me wonder why so much gatekeeping where's the problem in the end that's a good question what's the problem yeah i think there's a way i think traditionally the world of comms you know which i've been part of for 25 years is very much about message control and that spirit has not evolved in some companies there's still very much control trying to control the message Mm -hmm. but message control is a thing of the past you want to shape message you want to shape perception you want to create and foster narratives and you need people to do that for you and the other big thing is that the big development so from control to shaping the conversation the other big change is from organizational communications to personal yeah. communications we live in a very individualized world partly due to social media right people it's social media people follow people they don't follow, follow organizations you see this who are the influencers on social media it's individuals right social media so that's another big shift that not all companies are really exploiting in their favor they see it as a threat and of course if you are i understand if you're a communications professional you you hardly in a big organization you hardly ever get a slap on the back and say well well done that was great mm-hmm. more often the risk is oh, you screwed this up. Someone said something they shouldn't have said, or there is a line in this article that we don't like. So there is still a mindset in the leadership in some organizations that you you should or want to control. And what I always explain to them is, look, these are two sides of the same 
uh, coin, right? You want others to endorse you, whether it's a podcast or, uh, you know, a, a publication, Whatever. right? You get that. That has a lot of value, way more than advertising. Advertising, like everyone will, yeah, of course, they would say they're great, wouldn't they? They're paying for this. But if, yeah, exactly. But if, if, a, if a credible journalist mm -hmm. or you on your podcast say, that's fantastic what you're doing, that gives you credibility. But the other, the flip side of that coin is you don't get control. You don't have editorial control. So you just need to live with it and accept it and not, not bitch about it if someone says the wrong line. Now, if you're a listed company and you talk about financials, again, there are also rules about this and there are legal concerns. I get that. You know, I, I was chief communicator of a listed company. I was a big, big company at the stock market. But we know how to deal with these things. You just tell people, um, look, if this is an employer branding podcast, great. Talk about employer branding. Don't talk about anything else financial. Just say, I'm not the right person to talk about the company's financials, but yeah. I can tell you about employer branding is such and such. So you give people the lines and also the bridging techniques they need with a bit of training and off yeah. you go. Yeah, but that takes a bit of time and effort. And many times, nor the company, neither the employee wants to right, do it. Right, right. But which, which companies are going to be successful in the future? Yeah. It's the companies that are, have great skills, right? They have technical skills, they have expertise, mm -hmm. they have a great product that people want, and they're great at communications. Mm -hmm. Either or doesn't help you. And I just had this super interesting conversation with Victoria Lindner on my podcast, and she said basically communications in your sales, right? People don't want sales conversations. They want to be don't want to be bombarded with incoming no. messages with cold calls, etc. We all know these things don't work anymore. What does work is persuasion. You persuade and pre-sell people and organizations with communications. Mm -hmm. So the way you educate them about yourself and the product and the company, and they say, oh, that should really solve this problem I have. Let me just talk to them. And they educate themselves, mm -hmm. they maybe talk to people, and then they contact you, and they've already been sold. So it's not a matter of converting them it's a matter of not screwing it up because they've already decided in their mind they, they want to work with you mm -hmm. i really like that persuading instead of persuading yes yeah. and that's what communications does and that's what employer branding does right as a form of communications yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely i like this i like this a lot oliver to conclude is there one universal piece of advice you could give to leaders in all departments in this current context that would help them navigate it? Yeah, it is communications unlocks the potential of your company, right? You need to grow as a leader and as a communicator to ensure that your company can grow. If not, I, one of two things will happen. Either you will be, you will have to go and will be replaced by sort of more experienced leader, which often happens when companies are being built, mm -hmm. or the company can't grow. They're reaching a plateau or grow very slowly. Right. So when you think the company should really grow faster, why are we not growing faster? Read message machine, the answer's probably in there. And then you can say, ah, it's employer branding or it's uh, crisis communications we're not figuring out, it's marketing, it's branding. It's my personal skills and persuading yeah. investors, whatever it is. And then you focus on that because communications is a skill set that can be broken down in particular skills and micro skills. And you can then see, okay, I'm a bad listener. I don't get the feedback. Like, you know, I had to learn to listen better. So that's a skill you then intentionally develop and voila, right. the company can grow again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very practical and very useful. Where can people buy your book? Message Machine is on Amazon. 
uh, you get a Kindle, you get a hardcover, Audible is in the making. And I would also invite people to sign up to the Message Machine newsletter. If you go to my LinkedIn profile, you'll find the link. It's for free and I share all these strategies for leaders every week. Um, message machine, the newsletter, go to the link on my LinkedIn profile. My name is Oliver Aus, that's A-U-S-T, easy to find. Perfect, thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation just as much as I enjoyed the previous ones. The best of luck and thank you once again. Thank you, Georgiana. And I realize this is the last episode you record for this podcast, is that right? It's, it's probably going to be the last one, that's right. Well, I hope it's not, but if it is, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for inviting mm -hmm. all these other amazing guests. I always enjoy listening to them. And all the thank best you. with uh, whatever form of creation, content creation you would choose next. Thank you, Oliver. Bye. Bye.